Amen. Praise the Lord. He is worthy. He is good. He is good. Well, we're, we're into a new season. Hopefully you're starting to get used to school. You're starting to get used to teaching if you were a teacher. Uh, it's, the weather's going to be changing soon. We felt a little coolness in the evenings. I know it's still really hot. But we're all kind of heading back to things. And the season is beginning to change. And, and whenever you hit these kind of times, we all need a little bit of little refresher, don't we? We all need a little encouragement. We need some new inspiration, maybe some new hope as we move into this new time. And I hope that you do something to create that for yourself. You know, I know that our family, we used to practice some things like just simply stopping and taking stock. What did God do new this last season? Um, what kinds of things did we do new? Where did we trust him? What kind of work was accomplished? And we kind of take inventory of our lives and, what, and the events of our lives. And then we'd ask each other, where do we see God leading into this next phase of life, into this new season? Where do we see him drawing us or leading? And we try to listen to each other and affirm one another or pray with one another. And then we would pray. And we'd ask God to lead us into that, that new station of life, that new season, and we would be ready. Because we knew that there would be storms that we would face. Don't you know? You're going to face them. Maybe you've started facing some already as you've moved into this new season. Storms. Inflation. Taxes. Thank God we had a break on taxes. Property taxes here in Wichita. Sorry if you don't live in this area. But yeah, we got a little bit of a break. What about tough classes? Maybe injuries if you're an athlete. Sickness. Sickness begins to kick up. And some of us have dealt with that. Or maybe there's been fights. Maybe you're facing personal mistakes and sins that you're having to deal with now. And you need some encouragement. You need some inspiration. You need something to give you that strength to endure again. That strength to move forward and believe you can in your relationship with God. Believe you can in your relationship with other people. And to believe that God can still move and work in you. And I hope you have that inspiration, but I hope to give you more inspiration this morning. The essence of what the audience in the book of Hebrews needed was that. They needed new endurance. They needed new strength. They needed new encouragement and new inspiration. Because they were growing weary. Growing weary of the grind, the storms, and the trials they were facing. We've all been there. Maybe we're there this morning. And they were becoming a little complacent in their faith. And maybe we get that way sometimes. It's like ho-hum. I've done this before. I know how this works. I go through the motions and uh, stand up, sit down, lean to the left, lean to the right, and then I'm out the door, right? And it becomes rote. And they were becoming complacent. They were becoming complacent, maybe you do too sometimes, that your past spiritual experience makes everything okay in the present. And because you're associated with the church or certain people that believe, you're fine. It's no big deal. You don't really have to own your faith. You don't really have to grow or, or, or want to follow Jesus by faith because, of course, you're in a Christian family. Or, of course, I go to church. And we become kind of complacent. And... Uh, that kind of keeps us down. 
As for the people that Paul was writing to, and I'm going to say yes, Paul wrote Hebrews, though there is debate about that. But Paul was writing to these people who were dealing with this stuff. And the aim of the book of Hebrews was to cure Christians of presumption, of, of just presuming certain things without there being really any evidence for them. And it was to cultivate an enthusiastic and honest perseverance in faith and holiness when it would have been easy to be something other than holy to the Lord. And it was to cure those things. And so the book of Hebrews is a live and living book, and it is a great book, and I hope you read it. But at least four times Paul warns the Hebrews not to neglect a great, our great salvation, but to be vigilant to fight the fight of faith every single day, lest we become complacent, or we become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, and then find ourselves falling away, and then proving that we have no share in Christ because we have walked away. Didn't want to see them do that. Didn't want to see that happen. And so he said, fight this fight of faith. Come on, guys, don't neglect such a great salvation that you have. And therefore, Paul, he gives us in his book some see-to-it priorities. There, you can call them see-to-it priorities or make-every-effort priorities. But when your parents give you those priorities, you know they're important. Or if your spouse gives you those, I want you to see to it that you get this done. See to it that you feel this way. See to it that you do these things. You know they're important. And so the Apostle Paul gives us some of those in his book. See to it. And they're really to prepare us for a great life of faith. That's what God wants. That's what Paul wants. Live a great life of faith. And so I want you to read with me a, a scripture we've read before. It is one of my favorites, and it's one of my life verses. But we're going to look at it again in new ways with fresh eyes for new encouragement for this new season. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, Paul says, and he is just, he's saying the therefore because he has just told you a whole chapter before he lists all these, these believers of faith who live courageously and live triumphantly even in the midst of challenge. And he names all these people and how they endured. And so then he says, therefore, to you and me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and know that those things are always there. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, the author of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He fulfilled God's plan for his life. He knew God had a plan. And he took the steps and accomplishes and accomplished the task, all because of love and because of faith. And it says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary. You won't be discouraged as you face opposition and lose heart. See to it, guys. See to it. There are three priorities here. Three priorities in this passage that prepare us 
and they prepare us who believe for a great life that God intends. See, you've got to be in this life, and if you've said yes to Jesus, you're in it. And so let's live it, and let's live it to the fullest, amen? And so let's take a look at the first thing. Well, we've got a slide up here that shows us the highest attendance. It's probably in the next slide. There we go. The highest attended women's, women's sporting event. Is this, look, is this what it looks like at WSU when women play basketball? No, I don't know if you've been to a women's game. It's like crickets there. Hardly anybody's there. But this is what it looked like in this women's event on August 30th, 2013. So it was just not long ago, just a few days ago, 92,003. I like that. 92,003. Three fans. They gathered at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska to watch and cheer their, their team, which is a powerhouse in women's volleyball, and they're a national champion over and over again. And they watched Nebraska de defeat their rival, which is a crosstown rival, Omaha, in straight sets. But what a game to be in. Wow, what a milestone. They set the record. What a milestone in women athletics that 92,003 people would gather to cheer them on, to encourage them. That should encourage all female athletes. Somebody say amen to that. It should. Oh my gosh, look at that. Wouldn't that have been cool to play volleyball there? It'd been awesome. And you know what? Great crowds, great crowds that gather to watch you and to witness your work, to celebrate your life, they're an encouragement, aren't they? They're an inspiration. They're a motivation to do your best, to believe, to rise to the occasion, to finish your race, to complete your work. How many of you have ever had family or friends show up at something and it motivated you? Come on, you know. Yeah, you know. If I ever had family or friends come to anything, especially my family, or if my girlfriend came to something, oh, baby, it was on now, right? Because they're watching. They're in the stands. I can remember my mother could only come to one game per season when I played City League football, and she'd come to the championship because our team was a dynasty then, and we'd always be there. And that was the one time she got to see me play because of her work. And boy, howdy, was I motivated. I was motivated to do everything possible to make her proud because she came one time. So easy, so easy. Just a chapter earlier, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, Paul listed all sorts of these believers, both men and women, young and old, who put their faith into action during challenging circumstances. And he lists them over and over again. He said these people had courageous witness. They lived remarkable lives of faith to the, to the glory of God. And some of, them were, some of them were put to death. They were sawed in two. They said the world was not worthy of them. But they did it. They did it without receiving the hope and the promises because those were kept for us. We were the ones that were going to meet the Savior. We were going to see that the work was done on the cross and the new covenant was ushered in. They only got to, they had to believe it. They had to see it from afar. But they lived such great, great lives of faith. And he says to you and me, and you need to go back and read that chapter, by the way, and he says to you and me, 
He says, these specific believers are a great cloud of witnesses around you. And they're encouraging you to keep the faith. They're encouraging your lives. They're encouraging you to make it through the challenges by faith, and they're cheering you on. Who's in your balcony cheering you on? Who's in your balcony cheering you on? I hope we can be that for each other in the church because that's what we're called to be. We're a great group. And some of you will never know who's in your balcony. You'll never know the people who are praying for you. I found out after I came to Christ and then I became, I got a job at my, uh, my gym that I worked at that the owner of the gym had prayed for me when I was in seventh grade because he knew that my friend and I were trouble. We were coming to work out, you know why? Because we had lists of people that we were going to beat the snot out of. I guarantee it. They were older. They were older guys. But we were preparing to let loose some, you know, can of you know what, at some point once we got beefy and big. Right? Sad. But thank God he prayed. Because only two years later, I came to Christ. In high school. Only two, maybe three, three years later, I came to Christ. Thank God for that person who was cheering me on. You have those people too. And to live a, a great life, here's the deal for you and I, and this is the first thing that's kind of in this passage, we have to savor the testimony and presence of these witnesses. Savor is a great word. It means that we taste it, we chew it, we value it, we enjoy it. We, we met, it's, it's really kind of a word that's really close to meditating. We savor. Mm. We had smoked salmon last night. You ever make smoked salmon on your grill and you smoke it? Oh, baby. I know we had some people over and they enjoyed it and they didn't even like fish. But they, they enjoyed smoked salmon. We savored it. And we're to savor the testimony and presence of these witnesses and, and to do that, we've got to see their example. To do that, we have to receive their wisdom. To do that, we've got to receive their coaching and their encouragement and feel their cheering support. And one of the most accessible ways that we do this, that we stay in the witness and we hear their testimony, is to read and to meditate and study God's word, the Bible. That's where we get it. Man, when I first came to Christ, I knew right away I had to figure out how this thing worked and what was going on. And so I buzzed through the New Testament. And after that, I said, okay, what's next? I buzzed through the Old Testament. And after I read it once, I said, well, I've read it now. I know everything. What's up? Which one of my mentors who was older looked at me and said, oh, okay, do it again. <laughs> you don't even know half of what you think you know. Do it again. And what I've realized is, as I've read through the scriptures numerous times, I learned something new every there are 66 great books in the Bible. They, and they've written down about believers' lives and the events and the stories of faith in both the Old and New Testament. And they've written about many other believers in those books. And, and I want you to, to think about that. How many of those stories do you know? How many of them could, could encourage your life if you truly understand what they were speaking to? because you took the time, I hope you do, to get in the Word. I want you to consider the testimony of more modern believers 
to exhort us and encourage us to savor the testimony and the presence of the Bible witnesses. And this is what they have to say. And I'm, we're going to have a, a bunch of them up on the slides here, and you can take pictures or write them down. But there's an author named Ronnie, and I'm not going to get it, be, be able to pronounce his name, Adijun, and he wrote this. When we give our lives to Christ, our spirits are reborn. They truly are. But we still need work on our souls, amen, and our bodies. Our minds need to be renewed by the word of God daily. That's how they get renewed, by his word. There was so much I didn't know what it meant to, to walk in righteousness and walk in truth, but I was saved. I had to learn it from scripture and had to learn it from being with other believers. But I had to learn it for myself from the word of God. Next, pastor and, pastor and author, Timothy Keller, some of us love his, his book. He says this, look at Jesus Christ. Every time he was in trouble, he used the word of God, do we? Every time he was tempted, he used the word of God, do we? When he was suffering on the cross, and when you're suffering, he used the word of God. Every time. See, we need to be in his word. Pastor and author J.D. Uh, Greer wrote this, if you want to be led by the Spirit of God, and those of us who want to be, then devote yourself to the Word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and active and sharper. It's a living thing. It's not just black and white words on a page, but, but the Spirit can meet that black and white word and make it pop and jump and move and live so that it changes us. American evangelist and author Dwight L. Moody, he says, I prayed for faith, and I thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. By faith, but, but he says, but faith did not seem to come down and strike me by lightning. One day, I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, now faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And he realized, I closed my Bible and I had prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible, and I began to study, and guess what? Faith has been growing ever since. It works that way. It works that way. The Word of God and prayer go hand in hand. And sometimes we don't pray until we get in that Word, and sometimes that Word doesn't get in us until we pray. We need them both. And finally, pastor and author David Plant wrote this, if we want to know the glory of God, and boy, I hope you do and I do, if we want to experience the beauty of God, if we want to be used by the hand of God, then we must live in the word of God. We must. You know, we did a study, uh, a study that was rather challenging for us in our small groups last semester, uh, and we went through the book of Genesis. And, and it was a challenging study guide but actually going through the book itself and talking about what it was teaching us about God and about his love, every person, especially in my group of guys, came away and went, God is so gracious. God is so forgiving. God is so understanding and compassionate. How many people go out there and think God in the Old Testament is just vindictive? He's just running around looking to zap people and hurt people. It's because we read things out of context. We don't understand the background of them, and we just take it at face value sometimes, 
Or sometimes we don't even know it because we've never read it. We've just assumed it because we heard other people say it. No. Man, the folks that went through that Genesis study came away feeling and knowing and sensing how compassionate and gracious God is to us who are knucklehead human beings and really rejoicing in that. See, that's what you get from Scripture when you get in it. So our next slide tells us what do we do then? How do we live in the Word of God? We'll simply do this, and it's just three steps, and it's up here. You can take a picture of it if you want. Read God's Word some every day. Set that as a goal. Study God's Word some every week, whether it be small groups or being present in the church, but try to take it and study it. Go the next step. And then memorize and meditate on a portion of God's Word every month. See, I, I had this passed along to me way early on, and it's something I've just tried to use as a little checkmate. Am I doing that? Am I staying there? Because it's easy for all of us at times to get strained and move away from certain things, so we've got to be reminded. If you do that, you're going to stay in his word. And the Bible tells us, let God's word richly dwell within you. Man, starting the day with God's word you can't start your day any better. Never have found it. You've got to start with his word and follow his word. So savoring, tasting and chewing and valuing and enjoying the testimony in the presence of the great crowd of witnesses in the Bible who are cheering us on, who are encouraging us, that's what we need to live a great life. We've got to stay in his word, and without it, we don't get that life. We don't have that blessing. But then there's another priority. Here's our second one that our passage talks about, and, and it's really important to get. Okay, you know, I'm a bit of a, bit of a zealot, right? And I came to Christ, and I was following Jesus full blow. I, 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 was, I was on course to see that people knew Jesus and knew the faith that I had in high school, and I wanted to see them come to Christ. Um, so much so that our class, when we were juniors, were called the God Squad by the seniors who hated us because they weren't. They were like the, the devil's dozen, and we were like the God squad. But we owned that, um, that moniker well, and we saw many friends come to Christ. Well, I get to college, right, and I decide, I become, I kind of got off a little bit, and I became more of a zealot for other things, and I had a little model that I adopted, this motto, from, uh, I want to say his name was not Sign, and he wrote a book called Live Simply That Others Might Simply Live. And that was my model. I felt like, okay, we're too, too materialistic, we're too, we absorb, we're, we're 48-50% of the world's population, and, we, and actually we're 3% of the world's population, and we absorb almost 50% of the world's goods and resources. And I thought, son of a gun, there's something wrong with that. And so I, I began to get on a quest, and my quest was to live simply so others might simply live. I wanted to cut all the, you know what, out of my life, all the extras. And so I was, itself, I was determined to get everything I owned on a bike, on my bike. So, show the slide with the bike, okay? There was me. I had hair back then and it was dark. No, that's not me. <laughs> but, uh, but I had a bike like that. It was a nice bike, um, an SR. Uh, Semi-pro back then, I know if you're into bikes, you know about that. Those were really nice, and uh, I had that, and that's what I was riding. 
and I was going to get everything in my backpack or on my bike, and that was it. My mother was worried I'd never get married. She thought, what in the world are you doing? I said, no, I might not, not get married, because why do you need that extra in your life? <laughs> well, it wasn't true, <laughs> right? And so I was going to live simply so others might simply live, and I wasn't going to use any more than what I needed. I was going to just trust Jesus and live life simply, okay? But my life turned into this. Go to the next slide, okay? That dad's got nine kids hanging on his bike. I had seven. And my, my life became that. Because God said, no, your life is not supposed to be <coughs> simple like that there. Your life is supposed to be simple like this. You're called to be a father, a husband, and a pastor. Let's be clear about it. You simply pursue those things. You're not going to be a teacher like you think. You're not going to be a coach. You're not going to own some business and, and, and make, you know, way beyond six figures in addition to all these other things. You can't do it all. You have limits. And I'm here to tell you this is what I'm calling you to. Live within it. Live a simple life. We've got to shed in our lives the simplicity. We've got to get all the garbage out of our lives, but not according to us and our ideologies, but according to Jesus and what he's called us to. Um, there's an author that we've been reading, uh, John Mark Homer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he talks about simplicity in that. And it's a great book, by the way, if you haven't got to check it out yet. It starts off and you're kind of going, oh, I'm a little annoyed by his style. And then you, got, you get to love him. He's good, so stick with it. But he asks us a question to believers. Do we really believe the gospel of the kingdom of God? See, once you become a child of God, you enter into his kingdom. That means under his rule, under his authority that we've been talking about, under his care, okay? And he asks, do we really believe that gospel of the kingdom of God? Boy, he says, that good news that says that life, the life you've always wanted is fully available to you right now where you are through Jesus. The life you've wanted, which is to live according to your purpose, which is to be what you've been created and destined to be by God, your creator. It's possible for you. Say amen. That's an awesome thing. It's possible for you and me. It truly is. But sometimes we want more. And we want something other than that. And we're not convinced that's really the best. Right? He says this. Through him, through Jesus, you have access to the Father's loving presence. Can you imagine? The most powerful being in the world is there. He says you can come boldly to his throne of grace to find help in his time of need. Remember, who ripped <coughs> the huge curtain that was thick in the temple that opened up access to the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was? Who opened that way? It was God who did that, not you, not man. God did it, because God said, access is open to you. Come. Access is open to you. So he says, nothing, not your income level, or your stage of life, or your health, or your relational status, nothing is standing between you and that life that is truly life. Nothing. Nothing. Other than that other than our lack of faith, 
other than our refusal to receive it. But if you want it, it's there. It's waiting. It's open. Man, why would you and I want to leave presents unopened and just let them be sitting around us wrapped? Come on, tear into them. Access them. Access that life that is truly life that God wants to give you and me in Jesus. And then trust him. When he tells you, this is what simplicity means to you, trust him. And say, okay, this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm supposed to do. Trust him. Do you see this? Do you believe it? Or are you believing another gospel? Do you have another vision of the good life and what it means to obtain the good life? See, we get thrown visions all the time in our culture, on the news, in sport, do this, live this way, follow this paradigm, you're great. I always remark over the fact that you have financial advisors and they get on and they go, yeah, we'll teach and educate you on how to handle your finance, but they never talk about giving, not ever. They do not have one class on giving which is so important because that's what life is about. They talk about saving. They talk about assessing where you're at and your credit report and all these other things and about making more and what you want to do, da, 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 but giving. Man, that's the most important thing in life, isn't it? Giving. And they won't talk about it because the world offers us a different vision of what the good life is and how to attain it. So let me ask you this morning, what stuff hinders you and what sins do you have that are entangling you as you're entering into this new season of life? What are they for you? What do you need to shed from your life if you were going to live free and in freedom, if you were to be more focused, if you were going to have more time and energy and resources to pursue the better things that God is calling you to do? The things that scripture says plainly, do this. Or if it says, don't do this, that's something to shed, right? Is your heart and life unnecessarily complicated because you're trying to do and have it all? See, that's always important to ask ourselves when only a few things are really, truly important. Do the few. Reject the all. Do the few. That's what it means to live a great life. Shed to simplicity. Get rid of the things that keep you from simplicity. And follow the Lord and live that good life he's called you to. Finally, the, the, the third point. If you're going to live this good life, you've got to stay on the course marked out for you. Where is that next slide? Did we just lose that thing? Oh, okay, what are you seeing up there? Okay. Yeah, is there a next slide up there? No. Okay. All right. That's fine. That's okay. None of us live limitless lives. Okay. I'm not going to go in talking about that commercial anymore, so don't worry. This notion that we uh, can live a limitless life is a lie and a distraction, and we all should know that by now. Uh, we live within limits. We all have lanes. To deny that you have a lane or I have a lane is to be extremely foolish. However, it's also true that, that all of us aren't benefiting 
from the opportunities within our limits. We're not benefiting from the opportunities that being in our lane give us. And not all of us run our course. Not all of us finish our race well. See, this course is marked out for you. This course is to make you more like Jesus. This course is to also help you accomplish God's will for your life. It's actually marked out for you by the master who knows what you need to be trained. It's, it's, he's out there. Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. So every day is a part of his plan. Every day is a training section, session. Do you know that? Do you see that in your life? You and I are not our own. We're, we're followers of Jesus. So we're not just running around as we want to run. We've been bought at a price. We've been adopted into his family. And when I get up in the morning and you get up in the morning, we're not following ourselves. We're following him. If indeed we are following him. And we're following him on the course he's marked out for us. Are you following him on the course he's marked out for you? So you don't just assume your course. I don't just assume my course. We don't just run the workout we want to run. We don't just run it and then ask him, well, Lord, would you bless it? Oh, no. Whatever coach allowed you to ever do that in sports. Oh, you come and you just make up your workout. And go ahead, I'll bless you. And say, go ahead, go, go do that. Oh, you want to lay down and just stretch and watch the girls at practice? Okay, go ahead, that'll be good for you. No. I can still remember, you know, different athletes that always wanted to change the workout. Coach has got a workout and he knows what he wants you to do and it's planned. Rather, we're to look to him, Jesus. We're to follow him. We're to run on course with him. And guess what? Jesus actually runs with us because he sets the pace for us. Are we at his pace? So not only does he have a course that's marked out for us, he has a pace for us to run it at. Man, and that pace is to conform us, to bless us, to make us a blessing to other people. So your family, your school, your job, your team, your church, um, your work, the expectations, all those things place on you and me, even the trials that we have in the course that we're running, all those things are a part of God's plan to make us more into the image of Jesus, to get us down the road. But it's not them that we're running for. It's not them that we're serving. It's Jesus who we're running for. He's the one who's placed us on this course, and he's the one that's training us so that we can accomplish his will, so we can fulfill his expectations, and we can endure in faith, even through trial. So the Bible told us here to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and run with perseverance the the course marked out for you. He's with you and me. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. If you and I stop or step off our course, if we deviate from its route, guess what? You lose in a race. That's the best thing that could happen. <coughs> you lose and you have to get back on course and then begin your training again and run another day. But you know what happens at worst? At worst, you're disqualified. You're disqualified. The race that we're running is not a race where everybody's got to come in first. No, it's a race that we have to complete the course. So to be disqualified for not completing the course is not what you want. 
Wow. So don't do that. Stay on course. Just like Jesus, our Heavenly Father, he has an important purpose for your life and a mysterious, wonderfully planned to accomplish it. And what's more, he, he has a tremendous, mind-blowing prize and reward along the way, and then he has it at the finish line. It's waiting for you and me. But he also has prizes along the way. So we are not, Paul says, to grow weary. Don't lose heart. But lean forward in faith and let the Holy Spirit push you and draw you to the finish line. Do that. You know, that's an important strategy when you're a distance runner. I used to employ it, believe it or not. I was a distance runner. I look like one now. Nope. Other people are distance runners. But when I used to run, I used to see the finish line. And I used to allow it to pull me. And I used to put points when I ran real distance. I'd put points way out ahead and I would run to those points. Because the future pulls you. It draws you. It's such a great mechanism in preparing yourself to actually do it. You accept it. You accept the pain. You accept the process. You accept it because you're running to the finish line. We're running to the finish line. Yeah, we are. We're running. But here I am as we close this morning. I'm, I'm here to tell you I do know a little bit about running and racing because I did that at one point. Um, I found that for, for me, the start of a course, uh, I could start well. How about you? Were some of you good starters? But I also could finish well. So I was a good finisher, strong finisher. But I had problems. You know where they were? In the middle of my race. So if I wanted to improve my time and improve my race, I had to work on the middle. I think most of us land that way. It's the middle where we get distracted. It's the middle where we get maybe discouraged. It's the middle that can be difficult. Starting, man. Ending, yeah, but the middle, that can be challenging at times. But I found as I focus on the middle, my time would improve, and it would improve at the finish. So this morning, you and I have found that living a great life and finishing well requires us to do the same. We're to focus on the middle. Focus on these things. Savor the testimony and presence of the crowd of witnesses around you. Shed to simplicity. These things are middle things you do. And then patiently and persistently stay on the course marked out for you as you rely on the leadership and empowering of Jesus himself who's running with you daily and beside you. Man, and if you haven't known that, realize that and tell the Lord, hey, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Because I realize I haven't been showing up for practice. And I realize I haven't been running next to you. I haven't even been on maybe the course that you'd wanted me to be on. I want you to stand with me as we close in prayer. Amen? Amen. I hope you're encouraged. God's got a plan. He's preparing you to live a great life. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you'd speak to all of our hearts and show us, God, where we need to savor your word more and how we need the steps we can just take to follow you. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you'd help us to shed what's been holding us back and hindering us in our lives. 
this morning, if we have sins that we need to repent of, God help us. Bring us to that place and help us to confess them and repent. Lord, if we've been trying to live a limitless life and, and do all sorts of things that haven't been in your will, help forgive us for that. And help us to pare our lives down and, and tear it down to the things that are important that you've called us to. Lord, if we haven't been showing up to practice, show us that we're welcome. Because you said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Thank you that you'll welcome us back. Help us to come back. Help us, Lord, to know that the course is yours, and you are Lord of the course, and you're running with us. So help us, Jesus, to keep pace with you as we run and, and do the will you've revealed to us every day and through the day and every week and every month and every year. Lord, we bless you that you never said you would never leave us nor forsake us. And uh, that is so true. And we thank you that your word has encouraged us with that. So be in your word to know your will and your way. To be encouraged by the spirit to endure and continue on. So help us, God, in, this, in these priorities, in these things. Father, thank you because we know that your word that has been spoken will not come back to you void without accomplishing what you've sent it out to accomplish. God, open our hearts. Those that have received this message, God, accomplish that work within them and bless them and make them a blessing. Lord, because we know that's what you desire to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, amen. Amen. God bless you. Lord bless you today. Lord bless you this weekend. Enjoy your Labor Day. It is a holiday. So uh, it's probably okay to rest. Check with the Lord. He might want you to do some honeydews. But uh, go ahead and enjoy it and rest. And God bless you. Any other announcements? That's right. Those that are looking to be baptized, we're meeting in the small group room right after service here. Please join us there. We can talk further. And then uh, New Mana, sign up for New Mana. Sign up to be a part of that. It's going to be a great, great service project for our church. It's a lot of fun. So come and help us. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you.